Growing up, making dumplings and eating dumplings was something that like I did with my family a lot. And I know we've talked about it and we got together and collaborated on a recipe. Like the way you make your dumplings is so different than the way my family makes mine. How do you make yours? Like, tell me about your recipe. Um, so yeah, I love making it with a really, really good kirabuta pork. And, you know, you got to have your ginger, your aromatics in there and the white pepper and a little bit of uh, rice wine and chives, you know. Well, tell me about kirabuta pork. Like why, why that instead of just like your pork from the grocery store. Kirabuta pork, it's kind of like, you know, Jidori chicken, where there's like this Japanese way of saying, hey, we, we should raise our animals in a certain way. It's more sustainable and it'll taste better. It's better for everyone. So I love using like high quality ingredients like that because even when something as so homey and comfort food as dumpling oh. can be so elevated when you use quality ingredients. Hey, I'm Christina, and this is Fruit and Flower, the show about cannabis, camaraderie, and dumplings. Today, I have my friend and amazing guest, Chef Wendy Zhang, with me. Hi. We're here. We're getting high. We're eating dumplings, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff. So let's sesh. (laughs) How do you make your dumplings when you make them so you're using really delicious ingredients, pork, ginger? And Um, what about the wrapper? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can definitely make your own. Uh, I don't always, but I tr- even when I'm picking ones out from the grocery store, I try to go for the uh, brands that look thick and chewy because I really love an al dente wrapper. And, you know, like I'm a texture person, so I love having that textural wrapper. And um, but, you know, obviously, if you have the time and the dedication to make your own dough, it's always going to taste better, you know. I mean, it's a lot of work making dough from scratch. It's like, it's not just like making the dough, right? I mean, it's just, it's pretty easy. Like making any dough, like green onion pancakes. I do the scallion pancakes Mm -hmm. from scratch and it's just like flour, water, salt, and green onions. But the dumpling wrappers are the same, but it's just that little act of like rolling them all out into perfect Mm -hmm. little circles and little balls. Like that's the hard part that you have to have patience for. And so how, like if someone's going to the grocery store, how do you like, how do you know which wrapper? How do you pick the nice, soft, and supple one? How do you choose? Oh, man. It's like, you know, you got to really look at it. Um, I think, you know, you look at it on the side and you can see the thickness. I like to go for the really thick ones. And sometimes, like, kind of the translucentness on the top, too. There's this one Korean brand that I really like here that I find in LA. And I forgot the name, and mostly because I can't read Korean. So <laughs> I probably never knew the name in the first place. Um, but, you can tell it's like this really nice it, it looked like somebody's grandma made it you know it's this mm, really nice somebody's grandma um, made it <laughs> this like you know just pillowy fresh dough it just looked bouncy you know it looked qq as the taiwanese would say <laughs> and so like just for the list for you guys listening um i'll preface this also that like wendy and i are both chinese and as we have become friends and gotten very high together and worked together and through these events, you know, just really exploring our Asian and AAPI identity with ourselves, with each other, and with friends in this space has been really opening. Like, I am Chinese American. I speak Cantonese. I very much identify more with my American side and being and like 
I was always ashamed of my Chinese side. I haven't explored that as much. And so meeting Wendy and doing our work with Mogu Magu, which we'll talk more about, um, has really opened me up to discovering it. And then Wendy, your background is really fascinating too. Like where did you grow up and how did you end up here, what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I uh, am actually immigrant. So um, I was actually born in Sichuan province in China, in the capital city of Chengdu. Um, you know, Sichuan is such an amazing uh, place. It's got such an amazing history and culture, very rich in food. Uh, you know, it's kind of located um, in the southern central region of China. And it's got really, really diverse geography, like lots of rivers, mountains and different elevations. And so it's uh, also termed land of the plenty, because with that kind of diverse geography and terroir, it just kind of brings about an abundance of different variety of uh, spices, aromatics, and just uh, even livestock and different fish and things like that. So um, it's just, uh, there's a huge culture that's uh, historically been the case in Sichuan of just being food obsessed. So Mm. it's like you literally can't not be you you cannot be like nonchalant about food if you grew up there everyone loves to eat it's we love to talk about food we love to make (laughs) it we like to eat it um i mean it's just a big part of our identity and so when me and my parents moved to memphis uh you know as you can imagine back then like it didn't uh when i was 10 it was like uh i think we moved here in 90 what a culture shock to go from Sichuan to yeah. Nashville, Tennessee. 98, 98, sorry, 90. I was like, I was only one <laughs> in 90. Yeah, it really was such a culture shock. Uh, but, you know, I think what was what was like a real nice common ground is that, you know, Southern culture and the way people eat, it really is about people coming together mm. and breaking bread with family and com- having that kind of communal experience. And that was something I really like, I, I identify with when I was in the South. So I, you know, made a lot of friends and had a a lot of amazing rich experiences and you know I definitely am really grateful for that experience um but I think it wasn't really until I moved to LA I really um thought about what it meant to be Asian American or Chinese American mm-hmm. um you know because I, I think um you know in the south the conversation and the you know politics and just the social conversations is tends to be very black and white quite literally you know mm. and sometimes you can just feel like Asians are not really part of that conversation as much um and you but i mean the upside to that is it makes you a really keen observer as an outsider you're able to kind of observe and learn uh, different perspectives but um, you know, what I think I was missing was feeling that sense of identity with my people. And mm-hmm. I don't even mean like Chinese people. I grew up around Chinese people. I just didn't really feel super fit in because same, yeah. I, you know, like with our immigrant background, I, and like, you know, having mixed uh, cultures, you don't really belong in one or the other. You know, when I'm in China, it's not like I feel fitting in either, you know? <laughs> My mom told me once, she was like, it's very obvious from your size and the color of your skin that you are <laughs> and the way you sound and walk and talk that you are not Chinese. I was like, well, all right then. Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah, one time I was literally uh, walking on the streets of Chengdu and I heard these old grandmas talking to each other like, oh, uh, like, look, 
look at that foreigner. And they were saying it in my mother tongue, Sichuanese, you know, and I was like, I totally understood about that. About you? About me, yeah. Well, they to were be fair. Because they did not think I was going to understand it. Well, also, to be fair, you also currently you have like lime green hair and you probably had blue hair or red hair at the time. I mean, I think also like you stand out. And I think what you said about not feeling like you fit in, it's not about, you know, it's not always about who looks like you or the same color of the skin. It's, you know, who do you align with? Who, who do you, who do you feel comfortable with? And I think we've had this conversation a lot growing up. Like it just, it never felt like I didn't fit in with this particular group of Asians. I didn't fit in here. And I was always this oddball and it never felt right. And it really wasn't until we started hanging out. And then like with the other groups of like, call them like the AAPIs and cannabis and finding each other that it was like, oh, like we get each other. Yeah, no, totally. I think it comes down to shared experiences, you know. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, as immigrants, you're like, you're not one or the other. You're kind of entirely this, you know, kind of in between. And what's daunting about that, it's like oftentimes you don't feel like you fit in. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing about that is, you know, you get to create what that is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about being like, you know, from an immigrant background is you're able to like be able to create that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the people that we are drawn to, even in our, you know, API creatives and entrepreneur, um, the communities, like the people we're gravitated towards are those kind of culture drivers and, you know, tastemakers and the people who kind of see this more futuristic of like Mm -hmm. where our community can go. And like, they're down to get into it and like make that the reality. Yeah. And And I think what you're saying with that, too, is like what I appreciate and feel is, you know, so often I felt like the rebel or the bad kid. We've talked about this a lot, like, right, we're the bad kids. And then now, you know, especially doing cannabis, it's that there's a huge stigma that comes with that. And the fact that none of us are doctors, lawyers or engineers already makes us a failure in our families (laughs) and culture's eyes. And that's a whole other thing. But, you know, we're not. And I think that's why I love what we what we've come together and created with Mogu Magu. And so uh, Mogu, Moku, or in Mandarin. Moku. Kind of the same. All right, cool. So like, you know, Wendy and I don't always know our own languages very well. So it's really fun to discover Chinese because I speak Cantonese. She speaks Mandarin and also like a Sichuan dialect, dialect, which is different. But um, just not feeling like we fit in and having this place and then meeting each other and finding other creatives to create and do cool things with and who understand and the importance that representation plays in what we do. You know, Wendy and I are both, you know, very open about our cannabis consumption these days. And we weren't always, but, you know, by creating content, creating imagery and telling stories that show people who also look like us that like, it's okay. You're not a failure that we're still successful. We're still doing these cool things to me. That's really important. I don't know. Thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, to go back to what you were saying about, um, Mokumaku, you know, um, like what we try to create through that is the celebration of, Mogu, which is like, you know, representing like mushrooms and psychedelics and uh, those type of adaptogenic, helpful, beneficial plants, uh, as well as Magu, who represents, you know, the hemp goddess that's in ancient, um, in 
in ancient Taoism and Chinese culture. Um, and what they represent, you know, is like the healing power of these plant medicine and how it also has a lot of roots within our culture, even though you don't really see these kind of like positive plant medicine association in the propaganda now. You know, I was thinking, too, in the fact that how, right, like by being of different cultures, like being mixed, being an immigrant, that it shapes our perspective of the world and even food, you know, like we were making dumplings and, you know, there's the traditional, you know, whatever traditional ingredients. But, you know, when I make them, I'm like, oh, what do I got in my fridge? Um, I kind of have this. I kind of have that. And like I made some that were like, I think I had a Beyond Burger meat in my freezer and I had some cheese and I had some onions and I made like a cheeseburger dumpling. That sounds delicious. Doesn't sound amazing, right? And and dumplings are in so many different cultures too. Like I don't want to be limited by just making something that's really traditional. Um, but I loved how you were making them. I was I so I was at Wendy's house and we were making dumplings. We were prepping for um, a demo that we were doing together. And Wendy like did something that fucking blew my mind. Like I've eaten dumplings my whole life, and like I was like, what? Like tell me about your dumpling technique. Which one? Oh, putting the, ch- the chili the oil. Yeah, it sounds I've so always, easy. I've but always like, done it like that, so I didn't even know it was that mind blowing. Because <laughs> uh, I guess you know, Christine has been mostly a dipper her whole life. Yes, you know, and I've my family makes the sauce, the and then we like boil the plain ones, and then you dip it in the sauce, and we eat it. And then Wendy blew my mind with this. <laughs> yeah, we just put it straight in the sauce, you know, because there's this special type of dumpling in Sichuan, too. It's called Zhong's dumpling. Um, that's why, you know, for Fly by Jane, they have that Zhong sauce. Oh, cool. It's supposed to represent kind of what that iconic flavor is supposed to be. So a typical Zhong dumpling actually doesn't even have any vegetables in it. It's got this really tiny morsel of gingery sweet pork in the middle, and it's got a outsized um, wrapper section because you want to get more of that chewy al dente-ness and then it's that really nice garlicky chili sweet sauce you know that we just toss it in and then some sesame so it's kind of like so when you say toss it in i'm talking like okay like imagine you have a really large like salad bowl looking thing and then put the dumplings into the bowl and then literally like a salad we're tossing it in the dipping sauce yeah or like a pasta you know yeah this was inspired by chinese you know pasta that's true that's dumplings and noodles too so yeah kind of like what you would do with pasta when you boil it with raviolis and stuff and tortellinis Mm -hmm. and then you toss it back in the sauce and you know you want to really mix it you do the same with the dumplings but tell me about the sauce and we did an infused version of sauce but tell me about how you make your sauce I mean it could be used for dipping and for tossing really yeah you you really could you know and you can do it with boiled dumplings or steamed dumplings Um, but we got to use uh, our um, sorry well we we got to use my chili party in the sauce I think that's also why it made it so good yeah, and that thing has, you know, so many aromatics already. Wendy built into makes the oil. her own Sichuan style like chili oil that like you hand make and you're like toasting how many different spices do you have in it? Oh man, I think like eight. <laughs> <laughs> I know, classic doing too much. But, you know, it's it's really worth it because the as soon as you open the jar, you can get the aromatics right away. 
Um, and that fragrance is really important in uh, Sichuan cuisine, you know, mm. as a, like a mark of a good chef is like, you know, you're able to bring out that fragrant aromatic. In fact, a lot of our dishes are titled, you know, fragrant, blah, 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 aromatic, blah, 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 because like that smell, you got to eat it with your nose too. Mm, that's really good. Okay. So tell me about like what goes into your dipping sauce. Um, so we've got the chili crisp, uh, the, the chili party, and we've got soy sauce and nice vinegar but make sure you get like the Chinese black vinegar because it's got this really specific kind of aged taste to it um, I mean you can substitute with balsamic but I think the the, the Chinese vinegar is better for this um, and we got you know garlic and scallions and you know you got to get those aromatics in there uh, and a little bit of sugar you know I think people are always surprised oh, yeah that just surprised me yeah because people are like oh Sichuan food it's so big bold beautiful flavors very spicy very nummy tingly but people are never like oh it's so sweet you know like mm-hmm. in fact sometimes when we eat other cuisines within Chinese uh, cuisine it's like oh we're like oh that's too sweet you know but what it does help is because Sichuan food is so you know big bold beautiful flavors sometimes you know it can be too salty or something and like the sugar really helps Rounded to out. yeah exactly it builds out um, like kind of the sweetness of the soy sauce sweetness of the vinegar and it just really rounds everything out and it makes it so much better. Mm, I want to drink this sauce so deliciously. <laughs> okay, and if, and if you were to, if we were going to infuse the sauce, because that's what you do with drizzle catering, that's, um, tell me about your approach to catering because when you do your catering, you do the sauces so that people can dose themselves and that's what this dipping in, and that's what this cannabis infused dipping sauce is about, that it's very low dose and we make it with infused sesame oil so that people can just have a little bit, right? It's it's not about getting fucked up at a dinner party. It's about yeah, drizzling. Yeah, exactly. And drizzling and just having that experience and feeling empowered to dose yourself, you know? When, when I started first doing these cannabis infused events and catering, you know, my goal was really to make it inclusive and a fun vehicle for for people to learn uh, and feel more empowered to continue their own cannabis journey, you know, in an informed way. So, you know, I usually dose the sauces and it's usually like uh, my dosage is very low. You know, I kind of start at like 2.5 or 5. And then from there we can, you know, customize for each person. So when you do it like that, you know, it kind of gets people feeling like, oh, you know, it's like this. It feels like this when I'm at 5 milligrams you know and it feels like this when I'm at you know 2.5 and and then they can kind of go up from there as they want um so you know that's kind of my intention behind it and so for the dumplings we did a infused sesame oil that went on top and just to you know give it more aromatic nice flavors um and I think we we dosed it right like five or ten yeah yeah, one tablespoon in the recipe on substack it's like one tablespoon is 2.5 milligrams yeah. So it's very light. And because the idea is too, you know, whenever we posted and we've had our Mogumagu parties, there's a lot of consumption going on. And I think that's also as, you know, more people are entertaining and there's events with cannabis consumption, that can be really intimidating. And that's something that we have at our events where there's lots of different kinds of consumption. There's people smoking joints, there's people rolling their own, there's bongs. 
There's dab. Sometimes there's a dab bar, which is like a really potent um, smoking concentrates. There's infused drinks. There's infused foods, right? So um, if you don't know your tolerance or maybe you're snacking because everything is so yummy and oops, next thing you know, you're too high, um, that can be a really intimidating experience. And I know I remember the one of the first times I met Wendy was at a event and she was making the food. <clears throat> And I was actually like trying, I had a pretty low tolerance. So like my edible tolerance was about five milligrams and none of the food, like you were making a table, there was pizza, there was dab bar, there's drinks, there's other <laughs> oh stuff. Oh my gosh, I remember. And I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I have about okay. this much time before all these things hit. How much have I had? And I was like, I almost need like a Sharpie to like tally on my arm, like how much I've had. I think you said that on your way out to But me. I was like looking at Wendy and I was like, well, how much is this? And you're like, you'll be fine. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be fine, honestly. So that's something to keep in mind if you're like making infused foods that you need to know your audience and so by providing opportunities like sauces and dipping stuff that's clearly labeled it makes it easier for people to have control of their own experience and dose up or down depending on what they want okay so if you were making cannabis infused sesame oil at home how would you make it um i would probably use my arden um but if there is no Arden, you know, you can always just use a French press, you know, for anyone who, you know, makes coffee, you usually have a French press laying around somewhere. Um, so what I do is I take the decarved flour and then I combine it with some, um, you know, butter or oil or whatever you want to choose to infuse it with. And then I um, close the French press. I press it almost all the way down, touching the liquid, but not all the way, maybe like an inch and or two. So above. then I uh, put the entire French press inside a pot filled with water. Um, make sure the water is at least over the level of the liquid inside of the French press. And then you just put that on a super low simmer, not even like a barely a simmer. You know, you really don't want to uh, get the heat too high. Um, ideally, you know, I think it stays at like 250-ish. Right. It does. Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you're talking about doing a French press, method, which is really cool. I actually, I've never done the French press method. I mean, it's very similar um, uh, for me. Like if I wasn't, I usually recommend the oven in a mason jar because it's the easiest. It requires no paying attention. This one's also a really good one. I love the French press because your standard, like a metal glass French press, not like the, like in, there's like fancy ones, but like, this is like the bottom, right? With like mm-hmm, the glass jar. Mm-hmm. It has those little feet. So you can put the whole thing into your pot and the glass isn't touching the bottom of the stove which you don't want that to happen otherwise your glass could break so I love that that's a great at home hack Um, and then I also love my Ardent Ardent's actually I know they don't sponsor this this would be great but Chanel Lindsay is absolutely (laughs) amazing she's their founder and we're big supporters Um, Ardent's the one that I reach for if I'm grabbing a infusion device but if you don't have one like really the cool thing about cannabis is you don't need these fancy all this fancy equipment equipment, all this fancy stuff to make it at home. 
you, all you need is a stove. Uh, you need a pot and a stove or a mason jar and an oven. Um, you could do a crock pot. There's so many different ways. And that's why I love hearing your method of how you do it because there's no right or wrong. And when I was learning how to infuse, like I would be Googling, I was went down these Reddit holes of like trying to figure out like, all right, what is the best way to infuse? How do I do this? And the information was so confusing because people are so freaking like militant about their opinion of like, no, you have to do it this way, especially on Reddit. And like your way is correct. My way is correct. Is the temperature exact? Yeah, it's going to work. Just trust me. It'll get you high. You'll be fine. Um, And I think a lot of like what I read, it comes from like people are generally high dose or it comes from before legalization. And you're trying to squeeze as much THC as you can out of that plant. Whereas Mm -hmm. now it's like, um, you know, we're still doing that. But also for you and I, it's like abundance. You know, we work with a lot. We're lucky to work with a lot of brands. And for me, I'm not trying to squeeze out maximum THC when I'm cooking with cannabis. I'm trying to match the flavors and the aromas and what's going to work well with food and what is the vehicle that goes with that food. Like, for example, a lot of times people will say like, you know, coconut oil, coconut oil is the most efficient. Okay, cool. But like, you know, as a chef, (laughs) are you going to cook with coconut oil all the time? Right. Not all the time. You know, you definitely need the variety. And, you know, I, I will say with the um, with the mason jar uh, method, when you're done, uh, one of my friends has because, uh, you know, sometimes it's like it really comes down to which method you think is the least fussy. You know, Um, because everyone is trying to optimize for a different thing, right? I said, you know, sometimes I use the Arden when I'm really trying to maximize the cannabinoid extraction, you know, because the precision is so great. But with um, the French press method, it's the ease of cleaning, you know, when you Mm -hmm. press it down and you strain it out, it's already strained, you know. But I do also know that with the mason jar method, one of my friends told me that what she does is puts it in the fridge after it's done. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, fat will solidify. I think mostly, you know, the butter type of fats will solidify. And then you can just take that brick out and it's clean and separated from the sediments and the water. Yeah, that's what I do too. Uh, Well, I do the mason jar method just because also a lot of people will ask, like, you know, like, I don't want my whole house to smell like weed. Will this smell like? And by decarbing. So if you Mm -hmm. don't know what decarboxylation and activation is, check out my substack on the DIY edible section. And there's a whole post explaining exactly what that is, the temperature, how to do it. Um, But I recommend that just because you basically decarb and infuse in the same glass jar. There's less cleaning. I hate washing dishes. So the least amount of effort I can put in is best. And then um, with, yeah, with butter, it solidifies or it's in a jar. I can let it sit. Um, and I'll sometimes like after I strain out the solid bits, I will stir to get reincorporate the water back into the butter. Because like I don't think that like so when you separate it like I thought I was doing something wrong and when I pour the butter out like I have the solid part and then there's like really nasty liquid on the bottom with the milk fats so mm-hmm. what's left is technically ghee mm-hmm. and um, you know there's just this natural water that's in butter and you can pour it out and just use the fat that's left over or for me with baking like butter's all about volume and mm-hmm. sometimes I need that water because water serves a very important purpose in like creating steam while baking. Mm-hmm. 
So I'll let it come to room temp and I'll stir it to reincorporate those solids and the water back in. Interesting. But like, it's, I don't know. I'm also like, you know what? Do what you want to do. Did that work for you? All right, cool. Like, like people are so weird about it. This podcast and Fruit and Flower on Substack explores the intersection of where culinary meets cannabis in intriguing and sometimes very unexpected ways. In each episode, I'll share one of my cannabis-infused recipes and the unfurled part of Fruit and Flower. And today we unfurled and blossomed with Wendy Zhang. Um, follow at Fruit and Flower on Instagram and TikTok. And Wendy, how can people follow you? Follow me at when you're hungry. That's W-E-N-Y-E-R hungry. And subscribe to my email list for all of the recipes so that you can make this pork ginger dumplings with the infused dipping sauce at home. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, flowerful day.